Everybody and welcome to Two Stories of Tinseltown. And I have one of my favorite guests and my favorite authors, Mr. Robert Matson on. This is his fourth count him one, two, three, fourth visit. And guess what? He's gonna come on next week. Woo woo! So that'll be his fifth count him one, two, three, four, fifth visit. Robert, thank you so much for coming on again. It's always a pleasure, Grace. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) I love having you. And I'm like, hurry up, finish books. Come on, make keep writing books. Well, I guess I could have you on and read your books. And so uh, Robert has written another wonderful book. And uh, the last one you wrote was Dutch Girl, right? Audrey Hepburn and the War. Okay, so so this is a perfect companion piece for that. And it's called Warrior Audrey Hepburn. And um, boy, oh boy, was she. Isn't this what Luca, Luca, her son, he said she was a warrior and he wanted people to see her like that. Right. He, what he said specifically that sort of lit a fire under me to write this book was he said that UNICEF thought with, that with my mother, they would get a pretty princess to raise money at galas. And what they really got was a badass soldier. That's what, that was what set me off i mean like i thought if there was ever you know a theme for a book there it was badass <laughs> badass so, okay audrey badass hepburn a badass i i couldn't imagine really uh and so he said i got so many stories about my mother the badass and so you know over the course of a year he told them all to me and then i found some a, a lot of other you know, corroboration from U.S. military men who knew she was a badass. UNICEF field workers knew she was a badass. They could cite chapter and verse uh, her badassness. She was. And when you guys read this book, you will just love her because she is so beloved. I think she's one of the most beloved uh, classic Hollywood stars, Audrey. She's really maybe in the top five um, maybe 10, but definitely in the, I would say in the top five. And when you see what this woman did, and she did not have to do this, she could have been in her beautiful garden and hanging out with her new dude and just living her life. And she took on this quest, which we will talk about, of course, which is the theme of Robert's wonderful book, Warrior. Which is, you didn't do badass. You said, let's do warrior. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, um, Luke and I went back and forth. Warrior something, you know, warrior princess, warrior. But he said, finally, he said, how about just warrior? And I'm like, yeah, really? That's it? Because she was. She didn't need any other description for what she did. She right. was. And she was amazing. So, um, basically, let's just start with Audrey. Um, she, she was married, uh, 
she always wanted children. She met and married Mal Farrar, who was an actor. At the time, I think Audrey always surpassed him, though, right? She was always much more famous than he was, even in the beginning. Oh, yeah, and that bothered him no end. Yes. Uh, he, he had quite the big ego and a fragile one at that. And so, you know, being known as Mr. Audrey Hepburn <laughs> did not sit well with Mel. And he sort of kept her under his thumb because of that massive insecurity. And it it produced a, an unhappy marriage just throughout. You look at photos of them and they seem happy, but that's because they're actors. Right. And she did stay with him for quite a while. She was with him, I think, for 14 years or 13. Yeah. And yeah, she she really believed in monogamy and uh, and wanted to make it work for the sake of their son, Sean, who was born in 1960. But after a certain point, um, Audrey had grown into herself and no longer wanted to be under someone's thumb. And she could no longer look away from his extramarital activities, which are, you know, par for the course in Hollywood. But yeah, I'm sure there were many. Yeah, there were. What I loved was one of her closest friends, and you have a quote from her on the book, was Yul Brenner's wife, ex-wife. And she was saying what a scoundrel Mel Ferrer was. And it's like, oh, my goodness, Yul Brenner, scoundrel, 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 in capital letters, too. So they yeah. both had a couple of scoundrels on their hand, but they yes. didn't stay married. Um, so she, the last film she did was Wait, to, Wait Until Dark, which I loved. I loved that film. Did you like it? Right. Uh, yeah, I like Wait Until Dark, and I like Two for the Road, which she made the same year. Yes. So she made those two pictures, and then she just walked away from Hollywood because she wanted to spend time with Sean. And when she walked away, she was in Europe. She was living in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And and Doris Brinner, Yule's ex, who was Audrey's best friend for 30 years, uh, suggested that they go away together to get away from these men because she was divorcing Yule at the same time Audrey was divorcing Mel. Right. Let's get away from it all. Let's go to Greece. Let's go sailing on the Adriatic or whatever. And, and while there... Audrey met a young Italian student, like a young Italian student, and fell in love with him. And that was Andrea Dotti. How young was he? Oh, he was like, what, eight years younger than her? She was 37 and he was 29, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, And they had a whirlwind romance. Doris hated him. Doris didn't like Mel. Doris didn't like Andrea either. Um, Doris didn't really like much of anybody. She liked me. I know. She wrote a very nice thing to you. Yeah, she did. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But yeah, so they, and then in very short order after marrying Dottie, Luca was born in 1970. And, and once again, uh, Audrey managed to find a, this, this one was not controlling so much, but this one was also a womanizer and and that just devastated her all over again. Yeah, well, he probably said, I'm Italian. <laughs> That's what Italian people do, but poor Audrey. And her whole thing was she so wanted children that I think more than anything, 
that's what she wanted. And she got her two sons, yet she stayed married to this dude also for like 13 or 14 years. And not that she was happy at all for most of it. It was sort of like with Mel, but he was, he didn't have the ego, but he wasn't an actor. So. No, he had a great sense of humor, which is reproduced in Luca. You know, I think Luca and his father are quite alike in some ways. Um, But I, I think, I think Luca's much more grounded, but the thing to remember about Audrey as Andrea Dottie's wife, Mrs. Dottie, is she assimilated herself into Italian culture, into Roman culture as best she could. She learned to speak fluid, fluid Italian and to just be a housewife in Rome during this time. And even that did not suit Dottie. That wasn't enough to keep him at home. Um, but she gave it her best shot. Uh, and, and really, this was another step in her becoming Audrey Hepburn, a woman in charge of her own destiny. Yes. But she, she really learned a lot from marriage to these two guys. And she saw, I, I think she really knew that she was a lot strong. She was so strong. But um, she had the guts to pull away from him. And when she divorced him, her agent called her to come back, right? Do Robin and Marion. Right. And that was in the summer of 1975. Things were already rocky. So she took Luca over his summer break to Spain to make Robin and Marion in a Spanish Sherwood forest. (laughs) And with the (laughs) lovely Sean Connery playing Robin. Right. Audrey made Marion had become sister nun Marion, and I never saw that movie to be honest with you. But it didn't do as well as expected, did it? No, it, it. You know, it got pleasant reviews, and I remember it personally. It's the only Audrey picture I ever saw in a theater. Mm-hmm. I was a kid, and and I remember the hullabaloo. You know mm-hmm. about like. Here's Audrey back on the screen, and I was I was thinking I don't see anything so special, you know. I I knew she was considered special, right? But, but you were a kid, uh, yeah. Uh, I never caught the Audrey bug until uh, working on Dutch Girl. Then I I did, and and really caught the Audrey bug working on Warrior with Luca. Yeah, she she was cat's meow. She'd never, and in Robin and Marion, I mean, she was not one of these women who had her face lifted and, you know, all this other stuff. She was lovely, and she looked her age. She was gorgeous still. I mean, not when I was a kid, too, I'd be like, hmm. But now I see how beautiful she was then. And, well, it's, uh, it's funny if you when she took off her nun's habit in Robin and Mary, and they go to it's like you know uh, symbolic of her returning to a physical woman and you know having sex with Robin Hood. When she takes off her nun's habit, she's wearing this really poofy Italian hairdo. You know, it's just like oh my god, that's the last thing a 12th century woman would wear. <laughs> but but she looked great. Did you ever see the nun story? Oh, yeah. So that, that's not their hair. Chop, 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 chop. They chopped your right. hair to, to uh, no vanity. So, well, you know, they had to make her look like a babe once she'd had her thing taken off. Why not? 
you know, who, you know, come on. It's not a true story. It's a movie. But you really do owe it to yourself to see Robin and Marion because, you know, in many ways, she was like holding on to the horse by its tail being dragged through the process of making this picture a completely different experience than she had ever had when she was working in sort of the tail end of the golden age of Hollywood because she's she's on location in natural light with a director that doesn't care at all about her vanity her left side or her right right. (laughs) yeah and he's shooting with multiple cameras and yeah, so you, you really should see that. I will. I will see it. And then she did Bloodline. I, and mm-hmm. what's that? Some cheesy, it sounds like a cheesy kind of movie, but I, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. Ultra cheese. Ultra cheese. Because she's in it as this executive and she's running around Europe being an executive. And there's this other plot line that's of girls being murdered (laughs) so there's naked girls being Ah, fished out of rivers and you know i mean it's just it was a disaster for her i can't imagine her doing that film and then she did they all laughed which was Mm -hmm. peter bogdanovich and he was in love with that what's her name dorothy stratton and Audrey, right. I don't know what she played in that. I never saw it. And she did. Did she have an affair with um, the guy you said he, she had a crush on? Um, ben Gazzara? Right. Um, no. Like, I wrote it because Ben Gazzara claimed he had an affair with Audrey Hepburn. Right. And so I wrote it that way in the manuscript, and Doris just ripped me up and down. She says, <laughs> like, no, no, that did not happen. And I said, but Gazzara said it happened. He wished it happened. <laughs> so I took it back out that, you know, it, it was a non-sexual thing because Audrey's best friend swore it was a non-sexual thing. So then we say it was a non-sexual thing. And that movie didn't do well. I think she got murdered before it came out, uh, Dorothy yeah, Stratton. It, yeah, Dorothy Stratton's situation and, and her murder just poisoned that picture on release yeah and i heard it stunk anyway <laughs> i don't know you know that i have to admit that's one i never saw yeah and then she did one love among thieves which i'm sorry i saw and that's with the, the, the robert wagner right they were yeah. they were sort of the same age weren't they but yet they seemed um he just seemed like a different generation, even though he wrote wonderful books and he knew all the people from you know the studio and he was part of the studio system as well. They just seemed so different. I never saw that movie. Yeah, it had zero chemistry and and it was a threadbare production. And it's another one where she was just like it was a death march making this thing in the deserts of the southwest of the United States in August. You know, so it's almost a miracle she survived. And a stinky movie. So that she, but prior to that, she met, um, I think he was the love of her life and the last man in her life, um, Robert, what's his last name? Walters. Walters, very handsome dude. He was married to Merle Oberyn. Um, He's much younger than Merle. And she had, she died. And, There was a dinner party, but it wasn't a setup, right? Oh, you know, the the Connie Wald who put that party together claims it wasn't a setup, but who knows? You know, I, 
I think it was sort of a setup because Wolders was in the depths of depression about uh, his about losing Merle, and Audrey was in the depths of depression about her pending divorce. And so, bringing these two people together, may maybe they'll cheer each other up. And so that's that was in 1980. So, you know, by the time we're talking about like 86, when she made Love Among Thieves, they'd already been together for like six years. And he was what ten years younger than Audrey. Yes, something like that. Yeah, they were such a beautiful couple, though. I thought they were just perfection. Oh my God, he was a hunk of hunk of burning love, and he had to have you. (laughs) You say about him that he was like the real man for Audrey because he he was like her dad in some ways, and that he would. uh, What did you mean by that? Sort of like the real man for Audrey. Well, Luca described it to me. Okay, there are two things that were really key to understanding Robert Walters. And mm-hmm. the, one is the fact that Luca considered him his dad. Mm. Like after his own father died. Wow. Um, uh, Robert Walters became like a true father figure. And, and you could tell I, I was around Luca when Robert Walters was dying of cancer. And you could tell what a wonderful man this was by everyone's reaction to what was happening to him. And and the other was uh, I spent time with Robert Wolder's younger sister who explained to me that their father had died young in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Wolder's was from the Netherlands like Audrey. And, and Robert stepped into the father figure role with his family. And so he was a rock solid, steady and stable man for Audrey, you know, finally a grown up who did not need to have affairs, who loved her completely and who wore the pants in the family. And this is what Luca told me. Um, He wore the pants in the family, which allowed my mother, he said, to just, you know, took the pressure off her. She no longer had to be the father and the mother to Luca and Sean. She could just you know, she could relax a little bit finally. Did they, um, did Luca and Sean like Robert right away? Because you would think, like, hmm, he's with Merle Oberon, now he's with mom. Or did it take him a little bit of time to see that he was legit? I believe that Sean and his wife were actually at Connie's house oh, the night they that they were brought together. Yeah. And so I, it seemed. Everything I've ever heard was that there was no, you know, jealous conflict. Who's my mother hanging out with? And if there was, it was short lived because of what a, you know, what a stand up guy Robert Walters was. He just looked kind. I mean, he was handsome, but he just had this wonderful face. And you know what? To have that kind of he didn't have the ego where Audrey was in the spotlight and he could be backed up. And I'm sure there are people who called him a gigolo or things like that. I'm sure there were, because you know how people are. Yet yeah. He he was there and he supported her and loved her. And he had, he had enough sense of himself to not be insecure in that manner, which yeah, he was, was perfect for her. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a way, I just get this feeling he was like an angel or something. I mean, like he was... He was sent into these people's lives like Merle. You know, he saw Merle through her cancer battle and and he saw Audrey through her 
UNICEF years, and he went to these places with her, and he never asked for anything. He just supported her totally in it. You know, he's not, he's like not a real guy. He's so perfect, but he was. Uh, yes, he did. He sounded perfect. <laughs> when yeah. you guys read this book, you'll go, be still my heart, you know, because he really was. And he also took care of her. He worried about her. Okay, so why don't you tell us now how she became the warrior, how she became involved with UNICEF? Well, she she was, it started with her family, sort of, her, um, oh boy, it's really complicated. Her family history as a Quarles von Ufford, uh, that was her mother's first husband. And through that, the, the Quarles von Ufords, she was invited to a UNICEF concert to, like, spend five minutes on stage appealing for funds at a UNICEF concert in Macau, of all places. And that went pretty well. And so a couple of months later, UNICEF said, well, we're doing one in Tokyo. Would you mind doing something there? So she did another five-minute appearance at a, at a musical concert in Tokyo a couple of days before Christmas in 1987 and that was crazy i mean unicef got a sense in tokyo where she was beloved all the way back to roman holiday among you know japanese women that they had a true international rock star if they could just convince her to become a goodwill ambassador they they saw the reaction to this woman which is like she was like the number one name, entertainment name in the world at that time. And and part of it was because, you know, she made these magical films like Breakfast at Tiffany's and Roman Holiday and Charade and My Fair Lady. And Sabrina. But part of it. And, well, I don't like Sabrina. You didn't like Sabrina. <laughs> but, no. But, but also because she had retired and she was kind of reclusive and she was mysterious. And, you know, so she had all that going for her. And... And they invited her after Tokyo to be a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF because they wanted this pretty princess. And she hemmed and hawed. I mean, like she had this perfect life. And you've sort of described it. She had a, a Swiss farmhouse overlooking Lake Le Mans, which is Lake Geneva, and this beautiful garden and uh, groves of apple trees and this man who loved her and that her sons were grown and off and she had everything. So why give that up? But then she, she revisited her youth, everything that happened in Dutch girl, the murder of Otto, the hunger winter, the battle of Arnhem, everything that had forged her in her early years now came back to her as a responsibility to help children who were starving as she once had starved and mothers who were in the middle of a war as she once had been in the middle of the war of a war. And she saw it as a social responsibility to help people around the world. And that meant going into war zones, not being a pretty princess, but charging into war zones wherever there was a hot spot in the world, she wanted to be there. Um, Robert, I have to say, they did not expect that from her, right? They just wanted her to kind of go to um, soirees for charities and things like that. Did they really want her to be, I mean, she traveled. She's, 
you know, how many how many days was she home in those couple of years? She traveled all the time. Is that they she didn't did. did they expect that of her? No, no. They her first UNICEF assignment was to Ethiopia. And Ethiopia had been in the spotlight because of Bob Geldof and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Band Aid and mm-hmm. Live Aid, and he had really put the world spotlight on Ethiopia. And so she went there with UNICEF's blessing as like this Pied Piper woman who could draw the press and and be photographed with these starving children to raise money, money, money. Uh, and that was Ethiopia. And what they thought, UNICEF thought, they were terrified that Ethiopia was going to scare Audrey off because it was a war zone. The first night she spent in Ethiopia was in a town under siege in a hotel with no running water. <laughs> and they thought, oh, man, that's it. They, she's you know, a princess. Never come she's back. a big movie star. But, Forget it. Right. right. But she had lived through combat in World War II, and she had had no electricity or running water for months at the end of the war. So, I mean, this was nothing to her at a hotel without running water. So what? And And so she came out of that, like, energized. You know, she had a successful visit to Ethiopia and it started her off like at a hundred miles an hour and UNICEF was in no way prepared for her to then say, okay, now I'm going to go to South America and I'm going to Central America. Whoa, Nicaragua, El Salvador, you right. know, and time that's of Iran Contra. Right. And yeah. you know, they had killed the bishop, uh, then they right. had murdered the nuns and the lay yeah. person. And she just put herself out in all these war zones and she was just, and Robert was with her, and he took care of her. And I love how, I think you write that they expected her to be more movie star, but she came out in her polo shirt, sweater around her, and um, khaki jeans, and I don't know, sneakers or something. I, I see so many pictures of her like that, and I would mm-hmm. always say, man, is she beautiful. Not her wrinkles, they were beautiful. Everything about her, she glowed. She was just a beautiful woman. And her kindness, you could just see it in there. And she was, she dug in there. She wasn't there like, ew, ew, no, no, no. She, she really dug in and helped. John Isaac was a photographer on the Ethiopian mission. And then he was also uh, on another mission with her, Bangladesh. And, and he described how she would go to these, you know, children with flies all over them and and he had worked with other goodwill ambassadors and who would be like standoffish and you know not Audrey she would go with these kids with flies on their faces she'd be kissing them she wouldn't even brush the flies off she'd be kissing them and this was a, you know what diseases might they have there were aids babies at that time yes. and she didn't she didn't she did not you know back away from anybody she charged in there and she wanted to love them all you know, and and some of them were so fragile oh that my God. hugging them was not possible. It and was that <laughs> heart wrenching. Yeah, I don't know how she did it because she she was an empath. I'm an empath, and I had to. And she had to push back a little bit, like you do when you feel other people's pain, when you feel too much to protect yourself, so you don't die. And she had to do that, but I don't know how she did because it would have haunted me the first time I went, and I I couldn't have done what she did. I know it. I couldn't have yeah. lived with it. I, I 
I agree. And I wonder the same thing because I'm an empath too. I'm quite empathic. And, and to think about what she, mm. the strengths that she had to display in these just horrible situations where she's seeing suffering children, you know, I mean, in so many of them, thousands and thousands at a time. Dead eyed babies. children or dying children. Yeah. Mm. And yet she kept doing it. Every time she'd take another trip, she'd take another trip. And she must have cried in the hotel room with Robert. He must have been a Robbie, as they called him, and she called him. He was right there. I, don't, I think he was her rock, and he, he really pushed her through. And you know what surprised me about Audrey? And I can't even believe She smoked like a fiend. She sure did. I, I, I sort of love that about her. <laughs> I love the fact that she smoked and she drank. I know? love that she, she, she could find a drink. They said, oh, you want a bourbon? And she said, yes, please, when she yeah. was traveling. <laughs> yeah, I love and that And she too. would always say, or one of her favorite things to say was, it must be 6 o'clock somewhere. You know? <laughs> Wine 30, yes, of course, it is. And she, <laughs> she did. But she smoked a lot. But she never, just like Jackie Onassis, I never knew she smoked. They, she, I never saw Audrey Hepburn smoke. And I, that was a conscious decision, I believe, that she just didn't want to smoke in front of people. Did you? Did you ever see a picture of her smoking? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, oh you yeah. Did? Oh, but you saw oh, personal yeah. photos. Yes, personal photos. Right. Um, right. She did not smoke a lot on screen but i do believe she did she did smoke some you know you can see it in certain features that she made maybe not a breakfast lot, at tiffany's there. did she have that long cigarette holder? right no. she had that yeah. and also i think i think maybe in charade as well but she at one point was smoking 60 cigs a day ouch yeah when she would get nervous she would smoke she would chain smoke when she was nervous when she was heavily concentrating on like her UNICEF preparation, she would absentmindedly smoke and smoke and smoke. And, and, you know, I think Rob tried to sort of tone that down and Audrey's mother tried to tone that down, but you know, it was part of who she was. Yeah. So she went to all these places. Um, and she, I just don't know how she did it. She traveled, I would say, don't you think she traveled at least maybe 250 days a year for those two years? From what I'm reading, I'm like, man, she, she'd finally go home for a little while and her maid would say, stay home, stay home. You got to take care of yourself. Her best friend yeah. would hug her. And I mean, Audrey's a bone as it was, but she was losing even more weight. And, um, you know, but she just kept on going. She just kept ongoing well there were like two really intense years for unicef and then i think she started to she said herself you know that she was running out of gas so she did 1988 heavy duty schedule 89 very heavy schedule and then come 1990 you know running out of gas that's when she got roger moore involved in unicef and and sort of molded him in her image of field work, charge into the jungle, you know, charge into wherever uh, they need you. And he, he, he embraced that. And he was a UNICEF goodwill ambassador for like 20 years while she stepped back a little bit. And, 
And another thing I don't want to forget about, and I need to mention, is part of being a warrior was going toe-to-toe with heads of state, uh, like the president of Nicaragua and the the prime minister of Vietnam, you know, like advocating for children, more money for children's programming and things like that. And the beautiful thing about being Audrey Hepburn was world leaders – mostly men, all men in her case, Yes, wanted to meet Audrey Hepburn. So heck yeah, you know, bring her on, you know. They thought she'd uh, be like with her. pleasant and, you know, just hello boys, but she boomed. Yeah. And, and, she, but, and she was like, you know, on message, on message all the time, charmingly, very charmingly, but, you know, bludgeoning them with the message of, you know, protect your children, take care of your children, nurture your children, give them more money. Uh, so I just think that's a very cool aspect of her. And the best story that I got for that was from Peter Charlesworth, who was the photographer that went on the Vietnam mission. And, mm-hmm. and, and here's Volgayan Jap, who is like the general who defeated the U.S. military. He's a, he's like the Ulysses S. Grant of Vietnam, Volgayan Jap, who's now the prime minister of Vietnam. And when he meets Audrey Hepburn, Charles were said that this great leader turned into a giggling schoolboy. <laughs> <Cute>. <laughs> and there are pictures of him just like all blushy and giggling standing beside Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> but that's the effect she had, you know, she, she, and she played it for all it was worth, you know, for those five years. She did. And one of my favorite stories of Audrey is when she went on the ship to meet the American kids, the the sailors, and I don't know, were they sailors or was this? I don't know. She met everybody, and she wanted to to go aboard and meet all the soldiers or sailors or whomever on that um, battleship. Yeah, whatever it was. This was her last and most harrowing mission for UNICEF to Somalia uh, at the time or just before the time of Black Hawk Down Mm -hmm. um, when Mogadishu was, Mm. you know, run by clans. There was no government. There was no military. There was there were no police. The government had collapsed and it was just chaos. And, And every male in Somalia was armed to the teeth with Cold War weaponry. Like 10 years old male children. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. And and I talked to four of the military leaders who were on that task force. Uh, President Bush sent a a floating task force to um, Mogadishu for humanitarian relief. Mm -hmm. And so it was a an assault ship, which was like an aircraft carrier. And there Mm -hmm. were support ships around that. And, yes, she went. She wanted to go out and thank the Americans for coming to help. And so she got on a helicopter with the UNICEF people and flew out to this carrier. And um, and this was after she had been in country in Somalia for a couple of days and, you know, faced gunfire and, and really st- most desperately uh, lethal situation and, and people dying right Ugh. and left. And uh, the a whole, you know, like this there is- were no... There were no zero to three year olds this left. Was horrible. And she, yeah. um, in your book, this one was like a heartbreaker. The place, you know, it smelled of death, it smelled of all sorts of things. And Audrey was looking at 
um, someone, she thought perhaps he was 12 or so, and he just died. He, she watched him take his last breath. And I think while she was there, didn't like 10 people die in that room? Yeah, in that hour that Ugh. she was, this was in Baidoa, the the city of death, uh, and that it that's what broke her. I mean, it broke her spirit. You know, the warrior was finally conquered by what she saw in Somalia. And uh, but during the time she was on the carrier, she was she was she came into Mogadishu Airport to ask if she could go to the carrier, and she met Colonel Mike Hagee. Who I talked to, who was the Marine. He, he's having these intense negotiations with the most powerful warlord in Somalia, Adig, Muhammad Adig. Mm-hmm. And here comes this little UNICEF party, you know, driving in a couple of, of Range Rovers with flying uh, UN flags. And it's like the last person that Mike Hagee expected to see during these negotiations when he feared for his own life was Audrey Hepburn getting out of the of one of the vehicles and, and asking, you know, can I go talk to the boys? And yeah, it was Marines and sailors. And she went out there uh, and it blew his mind. It's like, first of all, she's coming from Mogadishu where I can't even dare set my foot. uh, And, and can I go out and talk to the boys? You know, it blew his mind. He, all these years later, he is still in awe of the ferocity of this little woman who by that time was, you know, emaciated because she was only four months from death of natural causes. Well, she died of cancer, right? She did die of cancer, yes. And she went, and she was having stomach pains. And um, I think she went to California and they said it was like, a lot of people thought it was colon cancer, but it was sort of like a pend- pendle, like about around your appendix kind of a cancer, and it, it had spread. She had chemo, and then she went to back to Switzerland with her kids and Robbie, and um, she spent her last days there, which was— Yeah, it was a, it was a super rare kind of cancer that, that they couldn't really diagnose because it was so rare and weird the way it— it was spreading inside her, like it started in her appendix, and then it went into her colon, and it yeah. caused the polyp, and the polyp exploded. Oh my I mean, god! Like, poor Audrey. Yeah, yeah. And she spent her last years. Oh, I love one of the terms you use. What do you call it? Compassion burnout. Is yeah, that the compassion fatigue? Fatigue. Yes. That's it. Where you know some people wouldn't. She didn't get like a full house a couple times, and that was pretty like weird. But for her, she never like again. I want to just say she didn't have to do this. She could have just been home, been at peace, been with the man who loved her that she loved, and been with her beloved dogs, and you know, just being in peace. And she spent those last years of her life fighting for other people. And um, she is a warrior, and I, I always love her, and I loved her from um, Little Dutch Girl. I loved her prior, and in this book, it just will make you love her even more and, and see the strength this incredible woman had within her little tiny body. She was one strong, badass warrior, baby. She really was. And I'm so well, glad she had Robert Wald. Wald. Yeah. Um, when she hesitated 
when UNICEF invited her to come and be a goodwill ambassador, she hesitated. Her family was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't you dare do it. Doris Brenner, don't you do it because she knew how she was. You know, she knew she was a badass soldier, and that's the way she would have to play this. Mm-hmm. She would have to do it, you know, give it everything she had and do it her way. And and her family knew the same thing. It's like, oh, my God, once she gets in there, you know, she's like a, you know, she's like a, a mongoose. Like she, she just keeps going. She's like the Terminator, unstoppable, this, this little tiny lady, but with the will of, you know— a huge anybody. I mean, she she is a warrior, and this book will make you love her more. It was. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. Of course, again, I cried. I cried. Number four book, I cried. But guess what? Next week, Robert's going to come on and talk about his book, Errol Flynn Lived Here, and this book did not really make me cry. It's it's no. a totally different book than any of the books we've been talking about um, when I have yeah. Robert on. And it is juicy, <laughs> woosy. And you can't wait to talk about it, too, because you loved it there. Um, it, he took great pictures. Uh, you're just going to love this. But this book, you know, if I could have loved her anymore, you didn't think you could. I didn't think I could, and I did. And you wrote it so wonderfully, and um, and uh, the the contributions from her sons they were great, and they they sound like they turned into really great human beings, and it's so nice that they were with him because when did Robert Walters die? He he died last. I, I googled him. I think last year, twenty eighteen. It was 2018. Oh, it was wow. while I was writing Dutch Girl. Yeah. Oh, wow. 2018. I thought it was like last year. And he was 80, right? 80 or something? Yeah. And but you've got to, Grace, you've got to let me tell the people that this is not a sad book. You know, this is. No, it is not. She, but you do this cry. Is a book where in, if you feel like you are standing next to Audrey Hepburn. You feel like you are her friend and she's your friend. Yes, definitely. And it's like, it's intimate and it's funny. You it know, is. She's, it's so, she's very funny and, and canny and humble uh, and yeah, just, and, and all of that comes through. And kind of goofy in her own way sometimes. Goofy. She had a goofy <laughs> sense of humor. She really did. So no, Robert is correct. I did cry, but you know, like because there's certain parts that are sad, but it is a wonderful book. <laughs> her kids, her everybody, just her, the rec- you're going to love this book. It is, it will make you laugh. It'll make you think. It'll make you admire her even more. It'll make you get to know Audrey even more. Because as you said, biographers never dug into this at all, her other biographers. And this is, uh, no, it is not a sad book, 100%. I would not... I love this book, and you will too. Um, Thank you, Grace. I did. You know how I love your writing. He thinks I'm, I'm kissing his rear end, but I'm not. I really love his writing. <laughs> no, I love it. You know, I, yeah. I love the fact that you get me. And I, I do. Always, I love, always said that. Yes, I get you. And this book you love. And no, I don't want you to think it is sad. Like, none of his books are just sad. They're, they're stories of hope. This is a story of hope, of courage. Of 
and and you get to know Audrey. You get to know what a mom she kind of mom she was. It, it's just a wonderful book. That's all I can say. Again, wonderful book, and I enjoyed every second of reading it. Um, warrior Audrey Hepburn has a picture of Audrey looking as beautiful as can be with a child next to her holding her hand. Um, the forward is by Luca Dotti, her son. And um, I bet Luca loved the book, huh? Oh, yeah. Luca was very proud of it. And, and he does think that it captures the, you know, the warrior spirit that his mother had that he's so proud of. You know, he wanted this story to be told for so long. You know, this side of his mother that people just had not experienced. No, I mean, he saw the pictures of her, but you didn't understand how often she went places, where she went, who she talked to, how she got into things, and and talked to the top top people. I mean, places where there were wars. She just went. She is. She was an amazing woman. There will never ever be another anything like they say. Oh, she's a new Audrey Hepburn. Never ever <laughs> forget it, Charlie. Audrey was unique and beautiful. Um, kind and a beautiful soul just as beautiful inside as outside just a beautiful woman i'm so glad she had uh, robbie at the end of her life that she had that kind of support and love too that that makes me really happy too right the book is great no it's not sad <laughs> it has moments everybody every you know she's going to these places but it is great you will laugh <laughs> you will smile <laughs> you will do it all Right. Well, that's the hope, you know. You will. All the emotions are there. They are. And it's a great book. You love Audrey. Like I said, I didn't think I could love her anymore. I love I love her even more. And it is a wonderful book. And it's quite simple. Warrior Audrey Hepburn, written by the wonderful, wonderful Robert Matson, who has written, you guys check out all his books. They're just great and if you don't have Dutch Girl, this, that's a perfect book to have with this one. They're companions. And you can see what made Audrey into the woman in the war, into the warrior that she was. So those are great books to have together as well. All the books are great. Thank you, Grace. You are so welcome, Robert. And then next week, we're going to talk about Errol Flynn. And I have to tell you, so many people, Robert, love him. Like, they love Audrey. They love Errol. And they are going to love talking about this. They're going to love this. Talk about a a change of, you know, gears. (laughs) It's going to be great. You guys are going to love this. You really are. Um, I love this. It's just totally different. Um, And uh, I love this, and I have fun with Robert doing this, and I will have fun next week with Robert doing Arrow. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And once again, thank you to the wonderful Robert Mattson for his book, Audrey Hepburn. She is a warrior. And check it out, everybody. Great book, fabulous book, as all Robert's books are. And he's, you know, in my thing playlist. Check them all out. He's been on, this is his fourth time, and um, they're all great shows. So thank you, Robert. Thank you, Grace. It's always a pleasure, and I can't wait to be with you again next week. I'm looking forward to it. We're talking about Errol. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and later, Gators. 
And thank you, Robert. Bye. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown.